Hi, and welcome to the Pantsuit Nation podcast. Pantsuit Nation is an online community of 3.8 million people who have come together to resist the current administration through activism, advocacy, and the power of personal narrative. My name is Libby Chamberlain, and I'm one of the co-founders of Pantsuit Nation. And uh, I'm here with Courtney. Hello. And we're not actually literally sitting together. We're in our own spaces in Maine and Boston, respectively. But um, yeah, we're here to chat and talk about a little bit what's going on this week. And then uh, we've got a great guest for this episode. So what's going on that you're thinking about this week, Courtney? Yes. First, my weekly disclaimer that uh, noise is loud in my apartment. Someone literally just started hammering in the apartment I below me the <laughs> minute that we started recording. So apologies for that. Um, but yeah, it's this weekend was a really crazy weekend. Um, we had the government shut down and the government reopened on Monday. Um, we still have not seen any protections from Dreamers. And I know that I am personally um, really upset and concerned about um, the Democrats who didn't hold the line on getting uh, relief for these people who were brought to the country as young people. This is the only home that they know. So, um, you know, you've we've been beating this drum for a long time here on the podcast, but um, the fight is not over. Um, but it, it was just really frustrating to see the Democrats kind of hold the line up to a certain point and then believe uh, Republican leadership who really hasn't found themselves to be trustworthy that that this will be taken up in the next couple of months. So got a lot of yeah. pressure. Um, and I just want to add to that too, Court, that one of the frustrating things for me too is not just the Democratic leadership, but then like the Democratic base being like, oh, okay, like that makes sense. Like, you know, move on. <laughs> and and yes. for everything that we've been working to do in the last, you know, especially since August, September, October, when this threat to um, to end DACA and, and to um, that was really threatening the lives of dreamers um, has, has been front and center for us to see people within our own community, within Pantsuit Nation, sort of fight back um, against the assertion that we were making, which is we need to vocally resist this decision and tell Democrats especially to advocate to the extent of their ability. And we get that it's a complicated situation and that keeping the government shut down is not an easy thing to do. Um, but the quickness and sort of the ease with which the Democratic leadership just sort of said, like, okay, like, dreamers are off the table, like, moving on, um, was really upsetting. And and um, we've just been really pushing folks to, even if you get kind of the strategic plan, whatever that might be, like, still call your Democratic senators, please. Uh, we'll get back to that later. But I just wanted to add that because that's something that's been happening and been on my mind this week as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I have been thinking about, well, I have two things. Uh, the, there's the school shooting that happened in Kentucky. Um, two young people lost their lives. Um, over a dozen more were injured. And I just really feel the um, apathy. Um, I just haven't seen people reporting on it. I haven't seen people uh, talking about it on social media. And it's just um, really shocking to me that so quickly, um, kind of the tables have turned, and, and I know a lot of it is just like there's so much going on, but we we also have to keep our eye on the ball when it comes to um, thinking about gun safety and gun control, and the fact that like a schoolyard is um, the battleground for this is really upsetting. Um, and I actually just turned the television off, but I was watching the 
final um, statement from the Michigan Assistant Attorney General in the case of Dr. Larry Nasser, who has sexually abused over 160 young women um, in the course of his career. And the one thing that I was really glad to see in this case is that every woman that wanted to speak out was able to give a statement in the court, which is amazing. Um, Victim statements getting to face their accuser. But I was so pissed off that it took literally years of young women and girls speaking up and saying this is not right. And it wasn't until, you know, one woman went to a reporter and was a- was willing to let her name be published that this whole thing came uh, crashing down. And I just believe women, believe women, believe women, because there are predators out there. And if the first girl had been believed, maybe hundreds of girls would have been saved. So feeling feeling a lot of things this morning. Well, um, we're very excited about our guest this week. Yes, let's talk to someone who is someone who is working to improve a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, giving us hope out there. Yes, I'd be happy to um, introduce our guest today. We are talking to Heather McGee. Heather is the president of Demos, a public policy organization working for an America where we all have an equal say in our democracy and an equal chance in our economy. You've probably seen Heather on Meet the Press, Real Time with Bill Maher, and Hardball with Chris Matthews. Um, And her writing and research has appeared in numerous outlets, including the New York Times, The Nation, and The Hill. Um, She's one of the absolute smartest voices out there right now. Um, Welcome, Heather. Well, thanks so much, Courtney and Libby. It's great to be on with Pantsuit Nation. So, Heather, um, for our listeners who are just learning about Demos, can you tell us a little bit about what your organization does? Sure. Um, We're kind of commonly known as a think and do tank. We believe in the power of ideas, big, bold, progressive ideas like debt-free college, which was an idea that we um, developed over a number of years, and then we're very proud to see Hillary Clinton adopt in her presidential campaign uh, in 2016. Ideas like the idea that there should be universal child care and that there's a path to getting there. Ideas like the idea that there should be citizen-funded elections in this country so that lobbyists and big donors are not the ones writing the rules and dictating who can afford to lead their country and their community. But we also believe that ideas um, need people to be powerful. And so we work uh, with grassroots organizations and netroots organizations all over the country every single day to put those ideas into motion, to get them into the hands of policymakers and candidates and grassroots activists to say, this is what is worth fighting for. We work on issues of inequality in our democracy, in our economy, and fundamentally we we carry a vision of a country where the demos, which is the Greek word for the people, the demos of America is in charge of uh, the direction of the country. Amazing. I mean, I yeah, I could just listen to you <laughs> talk about that forever because it's just um, that that vision and and sort of the hopefulness of it is is inspiring. Paired with that recognition that it takes work, it takes strategy, it takes people um, kind of coming from the bottom up, and then also influencing people um, who hold sort of institutional power in our country to to listen to those people. And and it's just um, it's incredible. And and one of the things that stands out for us about Demos is um, that focus on the long view. And and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of balancing that kind of idea of long-term change and building power, which which can take years and, and decades, um, 
and balancing that in this moment when it feels like I know Courtney and I feel often with Pantsuit Nation, like the best we can do is react every day, every week to sort of the biggest threats and, and take action on things that feel really immediate. And it's hard sometimes to to pull out and take that that long view of, of how democracy can can shift. That's a great question. And it's a tension that we live with all the time. At Demos, we really believe that we should generate ideas that are not always tempered by what's currently possible, but instead that are driven by what's necessary to improve the lives of millions of people. And so that means we regularly are moving ideas that have been dis- excluded from the debate on behalf of people who've been excluded from the conversation. So that means um, that we talk about big, bold solutions that would actually transform the way people live their lives, even when we don't have the 60th vote in the Senate to get it done. We think that there's power and strategy in being bold. First of all, it helps the roughly half of Americans who are infrequent voters be able to look to a candidate and say, you know what, what they are promising, what they are willing to stand up and fight for would change my family's life. And so I'm going to be willing to stand up and fight for that candidate. So often people get a sense of what's possible in the world because of what candidates are willing to say. And we see on the right wing, they've been very, very good at talking about ideas that are big and bold and even deeply unpopular, and yet they work over years to mainstream those ideas to where they are on the agenda. And we have seen over the course of the 16 years that we've been in existence um, that we can do that from the progressive end as well. I'll give you one quick example. When I started working at Demos when I was 22 years old, I was an entry-level person in the Economic Opportunity Program. We were working on the issue of credit card debt. And back then, in the early 2000s, it wasn't on the political radar. It was sort of shunted to the personal finance columns. And yet hundreds of millions of people and tens of millions of families were affected by um, large uh, credit card debt bills that were getting out of control because the rules on credit card companies had been loosened. So we started talking about it, started making the, the argument that people were borrowing to make ends meet and that we needed new rules to make credit cards more transparent and more fair and easier to pay off. And we were laughed out of the halls of Congress the first time we ever went down there and talked to the banking committee about our research and our policy recommendations. But seven years later, we were sitting in the Rose Garden when President Obama signed a bill into law that included almost everything that we wanted and has since saved tens of billions of dollars for American consumers in fees alone. That is such a powerful example, um, specifically because I think uh, I am envious of the people who cannot relate to credit card debt, but I am certainly one of the people who absolutely can. And it's what strikes me is that these changes don't just happen. And I think one of the things that I um, admire about Demos and, and that I like love hearing about this process is that you're reminded that you know there are people that worked for seven years so that it's easier for me to pay off my credit cards. That wasn't something that just like a light switched on. And I think that sometimes we, particularly as we were talking about this sort of 
um, fast reaction times to things that are happening, forget that there are people really in the trenches doing that. So um, yeah, that's such an amazing example. Um, so I was going to ask you a little bit about um, what brought you to this work, and I'm really intrigued to hear that you started working at Demos at 22. Um, how did you get into this organization? You know, I've always um, wanted to make a difference. I've always wanted to make a difference, not just in service, service um, you know, community service and volunteering, which I do in my free time, but also in sort of looking upstream at what are the exactly as you said, the kind of decisions being made by powerful people uh, that are affecting our lives on an everyday basis. And so I've always been interested in public policy ever since I was a teenager. Um, and I was lucky enough to be on an early website that was actually um, organized and run by the American Prospect Magazine, um, which is still still going today, uh, and for a while, Demos was the publisher of it, actually. And it was in a website called the Moving Ideas Network, and it was just sort of like an early blog and um, job posting site for progressive organizations. And there was a job posting for this new organization Demos had just started about 18 months prior. It was at the end of the Clinton administration when there was sort of a sense that the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institute had done so much work to um, sort of dominate the ideas wars, the Sunday pages and the, you know, the Sunday op-ed pages and the, and the talk shows, and that there wasn't um, any sort of really strong, respected, credible think tank on the left. And Demos was just getting started and the job posting said, we want to tell a new story about economic opportunity in this country. And I remember just being very compelled by that idea. Um, and so I wrote a cover letter and sent it in and got an interview with um, the woman who, you know, ended up hiring me, who is still one of my closest colleagues here at Demos. Um, and I was just very lucky to find an organization um, whose values were so deeply aligned with mine, um, with a president at the time who was a middle-aged white guy, but he really believed in uh, mentoring young talent, including women and people of color. And I was able to 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 rise to to lead the organization four years ago. Incredible, really inspiring, and and um, yeah, just kind of shows how to how to follow your your instincts and your heart um, when it comes to this this kind of work. And it also makes me think about all of the, we've talked to a bunch of really amazing young women on this podcast. And it makes me so excited to, to like, think of their arcs of their career, where they're starting now, whether it's, you know, starting their own organizations or um, getting involved in activism in college, and just like, seeing your path to where you are now, you know, now the president of this organization, um, there's just so much incredible potential out there. And I'm really excited <laughs> about, yeah, I'm feeling optimistic, which I was not obviously at the beginning of the podcast. It turns out the podcast is just our like weekly therapy session <laughs> to get, to get set out some of our anxiety and then talk to incredible people <laughs> to, to give us some hope for the world. So thanks for um, helping us with that this week, Heather. Um, and, and could you just tell us a couple of things that you're really jazzed up about excited about, looking forward to for 2018, any issues, initiatives, or, or individuals that um, have you looking forward to the future with good thoughts and, and hope? Yeah, I think there, there are so many reasons to have hope right now. And, and I actually think it's strategically important to be hopeful. Um, 
we've got to be able to envision the world that we want in order to work towards it. And for so much of my career, um, you know, my colleagues in the progressive movement were so often, you know, fighting these fights about the rules that shape our economy and the rules that shape our democracy and how much power lies in the hands of people versus the already wealthy and the already powerful. And frankly, there were a lot of fights that were happening that would benefit millions of people, but millions of people didn't know about them, weren't paying attention. It was deeply, deeply hard to get um, everyday people to take politics seriously and to bring it into their lives with good reason. Um, but that's not this moment. Right now, the politics has become personal and the personal has become political. And you're seeing, as we saw last weekend uh, with the one-year anniversary of the women's marches all over this country, I mean, honestly, personally, I was astounded. I knew I was going to go, but I had no idea that here in New York City, where I am, we were going to be, you know, just absolutely uh, kind of block to block to block to block filled with people um, who were coming out you know, filled the subway trains going there and back. It was a beautiful moment. And again, and it just showed it eclipsed by far by an exponential amount, you know, any of the crowds that the Tea Party was ever able to muster. And that's a beautiful thing, because we also know that that's translating into political activism as well, that um, this year in 2018, we're seeing the largest number of new people running for office that we have ever seen in our history and the highest number of women running for office. So I'm very optimistic that this is going to be a year where um, the people who women, people of color, young people, immigrants um, who are, you know, and economically struggling families of all races who feel like their voice is not heard with this current administration, but frankly, with the, the party that's been in power in most state houses and in the Congress um, for the greater part of the last decade, that they're going to be able to take the power back. And at Demos, we feel like it's our role to make sure that there are great ideas about what to do to fix our economy. At Demos, we feel like it's our role to make sure that there are great ideas about what to do to fix our economy and our democracy for that new wave of leaders to enact once they get into office. Heather, can you tell our listeners where to find your work um, and to follow the initiatives that, that Demos is working on? Absolutely. So our website is www.demos.org, which is D as in dog, E, M as in Mary, O-S, dot O-R-G. And you can follow us on Twitter. You can just search for Demos, the organization, on Twitter. Um, and me personally, I'm H. McGee, so first initial and last name, and the only thing to remember is that there's a second H in my last name. It's M-C-G-H-E-E. Got it. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us and for all the work that you're doing. Um, it really is inspiring and, and exciting to um, have your your voice here and all of your ideas and everything that you're doing with your organization. Um, and, you know, I, th I feel like Pantsuit Nation really does represent that sort of newly awakened, um, you know, group of women in particular that are are now kind of energized in this moment and looking for organizations that have been doing the work for years and years and years um, to kind of lead the way. And, and we're really proud to direct our community to the work that you're doing uh, in an effort to, to support that and, and, you know, put some numbers behind um, all of these important initiatives that, that we'll see this year and beyond. So can't thank you enough. Thank you.
Keep up the great work. Thank you, Heather. Bye. Bye now. Wonderful that we had the opportunity to have Heather McGee on the podcast. Um, Definitely keep track of what Demos is doing. Um, It's about the long game. And um, I just love that they are looking at ideas that maybe are not hot button right now, but will make real impact in people's lives. So I'm so thrilled. Thank you, Heather. So now it is time for the call to action. And as you know, if you listened last week, um, we had to say goodbye to Kat. She is moving on to do amazing things, but will not be able to do the cat call. Um, But we're still going to um, have important calls to action every week, and we will come up with a new pithy name. We are working on it. Um, So this week, (laughs) we wanted to focus on the 45th anniversary of the Roe vs. Wade ruling that made abortion legal in this country. The anniversary was on Monday, January 22nd, but we know that the fight to keep abortion legal is still going on and to get all women access to reproductive health care is still something that we have to work on. It is a fight that is far from over. Um, So Libby, what are a few things that we can do? Sure. So if you're able to uh, donate to give money, please consider making a one-time or even better, a monthly gift to organizations like Planned Parenthood, the Center for Reproductive Rights, NARAL Pro-Choice America, or the National Network of Abortion Funds. These organizations offer much-needed healthcare access, funding, lobbying, and education. Uh, The other thing that you can do is volunteer. You can become a clinic escort to help provide a buffer between protesters and patients in a variety of ways, like walking a woman from her car into the clinic or standing between the women and anti-choice protesters. Many organizations offer volunteer programs that will help you train as a clinic escort and volunteer at a local clinic. You can check out your local Planned Parenthood or NOW to see if they offer such a program. And being a clinic escort is not right for everyone, but there are plenty of other volunteering options. You can stuff envelopes, man the phones, train to become a sexual health educator, and so much more. Contact a local reproductive rights organization to offer up your skills. You can also, um, you know, host a local fundraiser and, you know, do a a community yard sale and donate proceeds to Planned Parenthood. There's so many different ways to help out. Um, And thank you to self.com for the assist on all of these ideas. Um, And as we mentioned at the top of the show, it is also important to note that the fight to protect dreamers is not over. It's far from over. Um, So we need to keep pressure on elected officials on both sides of the aisle to get the DREAM Act passed before February 8th when the budget comes up for a vote again. So keep calling. Call, 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 call. Um, Check out fivecalls.org for information about what to say and who to contact. Um, But also you can show up at your House representatives' town halls. Um, or throw your own if they don't have any schedule. So the House is on break this week, and they will be critical to getting protections for immigrant youth passed. We have to remember that it might go through the Senate, but it's really the House that is significantly more uh, conservative of body, and it might be more difficult to get the House to agree to it. So um, you can check out townhallproject.com to find local town halls, and they also have some information about throwing your own um, if your uh, representative doesn't have a town hall scheduled. So keep the dreamer top of mind. Um, Keep those calls, keep showing up um, so that we can protect them. Got it. I miss Kat, but I think we did okay. I think so. I mean, (laughs) it was a little rusty, but we'll we'll work up to it, I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I missed the, wait, can we put a phone ring at the beginning so that we can kind of get in like. (laughs) Yeah, right. Perfect. (laughs) We'll figure it out.
Okay, and uh, last but not least for the podcast is our golden pantsuit segment, my favorite. Uh, just as a reminder, the golden pantsuit is an award still sort of fictional in our minds, but very real in terms of the admiration that we feel for the women um, that we've awarded it to. It's for super badass women who are supporting women, amplifying voices, um, using the power and resources that they have to uh, to create change. So who's got the magical pantsuit <laughs> this week. Sorry. <laughs> so this week we are giving the uh, golden pantsuit actually to two women who are making history in their Oscar nominations for their work on the film Mudbound. Um, so the first is Mary J. Blige. She is the first person ever to be nominated for an acting award and a songwriting award at the same time, um, which is just an amazing feat and shows the um, breadth of her talent. She's amazing. Amazing. Um, and the second is Rachel Morrison, and she is the first woman ever, ever to be nominated in the category of best cinematography, like ever, which I, I'm just like, how are we still having these kinds of firsts? But um, anyway, so <laughs> golden pantsuit to Rachel and Mary J. And here's um, Mary J. Blige talking a little bit about her experience playing the character Florence in the movie Mudbound. Florence came at a time where I was really low, feeling super, super insecure, not sure of my life, not sure of even who I was, and not and, and didn't I didn't really realize that I was hanging on to so many things of the world that made me feel beautiful. So when it was time for Dee to strip me down, I fought like I was fighting to keep lashes. <laughs> I was fighting for fingernails and fighting for, you know, wigs and things like that. And I just didn't want to I didn't want to strip down because I I just was afraid. And Dee finally convinced me to trust her in this. And once I trusted her and let Florence live, she really liberated me. She really like opened me up to my own inner beauty for real, not, you know, what I thought I've learned, but really, truly who I am. There's something so moving and, and beautiful about that. I mean, the entire thing is really moving, moving and beautiful, but I've been thinking recently about sort of um, the relationship that women who are creators, you know, who are, are writers or actors or singers or, you know, artists, all of those things, um, the relationship that they have as women um, to whatever it is that they create, and and especially when that, whatever that thing is, representation is, is sort of another feminine object or, or, or character or piece of art, and like how women can sort of, um, just like Mary J was talking about, sort of be able to reach kind of different ways of being through their art or, or through that creation um, and how empowering that is and how important that is for women in particular who have been um, sort of told they can't be certain things or, or you know, um, locked down in certain ways because of, of who they are in our society and then being able to create a character um, or create a piece of artwork or write a character um, that can kind of break out of those those bounds. And, and um, I think that's like really, it's hard to like, even understand how important that is for women in, in, in kind of empowerment. Um, and then it, those of us that are able to consume those creations, whether it's watching a film or, or reading a book or watching a TV show or looking at a piece of art, we get to participate in that too. Um, 
and just so thankful for these creators for putting that work out there that we can kind of join in that with them. Yeah, that so that clip is from um, an interview that Mary J. Blige has with Salma Hayek. Um, it's definitely actually worth watching the whole thing. It's from Variety. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. And um, they actually talk a lot about the sort of space that women creators inhabit and um, the uh, empowerment that is behind um, stepping into those characters, some that you find, um, you know, parts of yourself or parts of women you have known, um, and some that you're kind of creating a totally new thing. So um, yeah, they, they speak very well to that as well. Um, so I now because this is a Mary J. Blige thing, uh, I have to tell my story about the time that I saw Mary J. Blige in front of me. <laughs> yes. And it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> So I don't actually think that Libby's heard the story. So I have not. I've um, not heard the I was, story. I was at <laughs> I was at Fenway Park and I am gonna get in trouble because I like honestly the Mary J part has like eclipsed what the game was. It was either a World Series game or it was opening day. I think it was opening day. Um at Fenway Park. I was with my mom and Mary J. Blige was singing the national anthem, which of course I was already just like, oh my God, I get to see Mary J sing live, which was so exciting. But then where we were standing, suddenly there were all these like important fancy looking people and Mary J. Blige walked by us. Oh and God. I was like, oh it's Mary J. And she like kind of went by us a couple of times. And the first time I like tried to play cool and didn't even look in her direction. But the second time I looked at her and smiled and she smiled back. Oh, and it was so great. God. And uh, my mother, Sandra, will get mad at me if I don't mention that Sandra actually said hello to her and she said hello back. <laughs> so um, I've been in the presence of greatness. Yeah. You're basically she famous so yourself amazing. at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, by association, when Mary J smiles at you, like life is better. Yeah. Um, so that's my my fangirl moment. But I do, of course, just also love and respect her so much as an artist. She's an incredible, incredibly emotive singer. And I'm really, I haven't seen Mudbound yet, but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It's directed by Dee Reese and it was written by Dee Reese and Virgil Williams. Um, and it's just supposed to be a really powerful story about two World War II veterans, one black and one white, who come back to rural Mississippi. Um, and I cannot wait to see this film and support the work that um, these two golden pantsuit winners and history-making women are doing but also just all of the people that participated in making what looks to be a really excellent film. Awesome. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. A huge thank you to our wonderful guest, Heather McGee of Demos. Thank you to our sponsor for the week, Goop, and to our team at Cadence 13. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. You can visit us at pantsuitnation.org or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at pantsuitnation. And also please check out our Medium publication at medium.com slash pantsuitnation. And just a reminder that this democracy is your democracy. So please stay engaged. And we'll be back next week. Talk then. Bye. Bye. Bye.